Well, good morning, church. Uh, we're so glad you guys are here this morning. Pastor Kevin and uh, Pastor Mike are leading a team of people from Grace, and they're over actually in Thailand right now, and they're enjoying the time, and actually they sent us a video to say hey this morning. In Thailand, DS3 and DS4 are right on the other side of the fence here. We've just been getting uh, pictures of everybody and kind of documenting everybody as they grow up, and we're having a blast whole team is having a good time. Right now we're assembling for a picture and basically we'll get them to say a big hi in just a minute. great time. Be, if you guys can, be praying for them, for their safety. Uh, be praying for their safety there in the country in Thailand and also be praying as, uh, for their journey on the way home next weekend. Um, this morning we're going to continue on in our series in Ephesians and many of you maybe are in those home groups and a lot of you probably will be meeting this week and so we hope you have a great time in that group as well. And I think there's a question that comes to a lot of our minds and, and it's this thought that is there has to be more to life than this. See, I think we get through the, the we wake up in the morning and we start our morning routine. Uh, and we, then we go and we go to work and do the nine to five kind of job. And then we get home and it's been a long day. And then we got the kids screaming or maybe we got to run the kids to the 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 sport or volleyball, basketball, baseball, the travel sports, and it just consumes our life. And we go just nonstop, one thing to the next, work to doing something with the sports or with kids, and it's just constant moving. And then I think we get home at a certain point and we finally get to lay down in bed and it's like the first like calmness of the day and we're sitting there, laying there. And I think this thought creeps into some of our minds. There has to be more to life than just getting up, waking up every morning, doing the kind of morning routine, going to work and then just doing the sport. It has to be more than this. What am I missing? I think that's a question that is asked a lot, and I think it's actually the wrong question to be asking. I think the question of what am I missing, what, what else is there, what else what is there in life? I think the question we should be asking is, who am I? See, when we understand the who, we understand, we can, it becomes clear the what we're supposed to be doing with our life. When we understand the who, it's very clear how we're supposed to live our life. When we understand who we are created to be in Christ, who we are in Christ, it impacts, it changes everything. It impacts the way we live. I think Paul, and what we're going to be talking about this morning, he answers that question of who I am in Christ. He answers it for us. And I, Paul really is doing that in the first three chapters. If you don't realize this, the, Paul, he's writing to this church in Ephesus, and it's not a random letter that he's writing to, in, to the church in Ephesus. 
He knows the Ephesians, right? He, in Acts 19, we know that Paul is the one that brought the gospel to the city of Ephesus. And in fact, the church started there with 12, 12 men who decided to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And from there, from those 12, the gospel spread. The church grew like crazy in Ephesus. Paul, when he's writing this letter to the church, he's, he's writing from prison and he's writing to this church he knows really well. People, is some of which he led to Christ. He knows this church. He knows what's going on. And so the first three chapters, he spends reminding them of the blessings of knowing Jesus, reminding them how good as a church, how good they have it in knowing Jesus. In chapter 4, Paul switches kind of the topics and he starts challenging them personally. How do, how do we challenge them with into, like, everyday life stuff? And we're going to talk about that the weeks coming, but I, we're going to this morning concentrate in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And primarily in chapter 2, so where I want to start this morning is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And Paul, when you guys turn in there, Paul, is, he's talking about, there. he starts that verse and Verse 11 says, saying, therefore. And it's because of what he previously said in earlier in chapter 2, where he says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul starts verse 11, he's going, hey, therefore. Therefore, because you, if, because you have made this decision based on faith and, and it's grace alone, something you don't deserve, you didn't deserve it because you didn't do anything to earn it. It's through grace and grace alone that you have been saved. Therefore, if that's you, remember, Paul says, that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, in verse 11, who are called uncircumcision, by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Okay, I understand. Maybe you're thinking, hey, Luke, it's way too early in the morning to be talking about circumcision. Get it. Paul, there's a reason Paul is bringing it up here. And if you're the person in here saying, hey, what's circumcision? Ask your dad later. Um, See, the Jews at this point in time, they, they felt as if they were in the Old Testament, they were God's chosen people, right? And so ever since the days of Abraham in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign. It served as a covenant sign of, this, of the promise that God made between God and Israel. It was this promise. It was the sign of this unique relationship that God had with Israel. It was, it was, it was great. Right? There, there was this, this unique relationship. Instead of Israel, instead of the Jews being humbled by the fact that they were chosen by God. Instead of being humbled, they chose pride. Instead of revealing God's love to the world, to the Gentiles, to the people who are not Jews. They held, holding it to themselves, thinking they were so much better because God chose them. Circumcision, this term, this uncircumcised, was a way the Jewish people looked to the Gentile people as they used it as a term of cruelty and disrespect. 
It was a way to say, hey, you're dirt, you're garbage, you're nothing. It's like in our culture, it's us using racial slurs. It's, it would be saying, hey, you are nothing. You're lower than dirt. So Paul, he addresses it really fast. He's going, hey, hey, Gentile. You who, before you were known by Christ, before you, you trusted in Jesus, this is who you were, were known as. You were known as lower than dirt. And then verse 12, he goes on. He says, remember that you... Also, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The Gentile, Paul describes the Gentile condition before they were without Christ. He, he shows that before he goes into this, tra- this awesome new kind of, this new opposite uh, status they have in Christ. He was showing them, hey, this is who you were before. Remember that. Remember that when you were separate from Christ, you were, because you were a Gentile, you were excluded from Israel, being foreigners to God's promises then. You, didn't, you, weren't, you weren't growing up hearing about, hey, there's going to be a day the Messiah is going to come. You were growing up in a world that was of a hopeless condition because you were growing up in a world without God. Yeah, the Gentiles, a lot of them were, lived in a polytheistic society. So they had a lot of gods, but they had no gods. All their gods were fake, Right? And so because of that, they, they had no God that could actually satisfy the questions of after they're going through the nine to five job and, and they're getting home, laying in bed and going, hey, what am I missing? They have no God that could answer that question and give them purpose and meaning into life. So they're walking around living hopeless. Imagine walking around to trying to negotiate life and, and negotiate the purpose of life with no hope to sustain you during this life and the life to come. Hopeless. All of a sudden, Paul, in verse 13, he he shows the contrast between the two. Verse 13, it starts, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He, he goes from, hey, you were strangers, you were foreigners, you were, you were without hope, you, you were far off, you were not even in the building, you're not even close. And then he all of a sudden switches and he goes, through the blood of Jesus, you have been brought near. It's, it's, it's so great. It's such a blessing that we have been brought near. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, we were far off and we have been brought near. We have been reconciled to God. We are redeemed, we are reconciled. And and it was never, Paul wants us to know, it was never based on the outward. What we could do to make ourselves right before God. It was always based on the inward trust in him, the the change of heart. Paul says in Romans 2, 28, 29, he says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward of the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is 
which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Paul's saying, hey, it's what changes. The, there's a surgery. When we were brought near to God when, through his blood, there was a surgery that took place in your heart. It gave you this new status in Christ and him alone. Who we are in Christ, it matters. And it changes everything. See, I think a lot of us, we might have been a Christian for a long time. And we understand this. We were hopeless before God. We were far off before we, we knew God. And, and now we, un, we understand that we were drawn close by the blood. And it's only through faith and trusting in him. We understand all that. I think the re, one of the reasons Paul is bringing this up is because I think it's important for us to understand and remember how helpless and hopeless we really were before we knew Christ. How desperate of a situation we were in before we knew Christ. I think we, we, need, we need to remind ourselves every once in a while of that. We were hopeless and helpless without him. But through being drawn in by the blood, we've been drawn near and we've been reconciled to God. Now we're not having to go through life and go asking the question, what am I missing? Or there's got to be more than this. We have everything we need. We don't have to search anymore. We have everything we need in Jesus. Even if we have nothing, we have everything in Jesus. We are reconciled to him. We don't have to be searching. What am I missing? We don't have to ask the questions. Who you are in Christ needs to be enough. It is enough. So we were reconciled to God. And then we are reconciled also to each other. Paul continues and he says in Ephesians 14, For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing it in his flesh, abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. By it having put to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who are far away. And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers. Think about what he just said earlier. You, he was saying, hey, to the Gentile, you are strangers. But now he goes, hey, you are no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and are, are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord and whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. Paul unites the two ideas of we being reconciled to God and us being reconciled to each other. 
throughout this whole, that little section in chapter two, he's using these two as they, they go intertwined. We've been reconciled to God and because of that, and with that being said, we are reconciled to each other. And then he uses metaphors, the human body, the citizenship. He uses the house being built with a strong foundation, with Christ being the cornerstone. Think about it. If Christ is the cornerstone. We have been reconciled. He's our foundation. And because of that, with that, we then, as the house, we are being built. So we are reconciled to God. He is our foundation. Now we are being reconciled to each other. The house is being built up. And it's strong because of our foundation. Because our foundation was never, it's not based on what we have done to build this relationship, build the house. It's based on what he has done for us. There's actually a, a group of young adults in Texas, I don't know if you've heard this, um, that have looked at the definition of church in the dictionary and, and they've realized it's, it's messed up. Um, and they're actually going out of their way to want their, they have a petition out there to change the definition in the dictionary for church. And the definition for church in the dictionary is that it's the, it's the place we go to on a Sunday morning. It's the building. It's the structure. And, and so th they're wanting that to be changed because they're saying, they're looking at this definition going, hey, the church has been impacted by our culture. The culture, we allowed the culture around us to define what the church is. Rather than the church is this movement of God, it's the people of God. It's the reconciled people of God. It's the redeemed. It's the, the church is the people. It's not the building. It's not the structure. It's the people of God and God working through them. So they're trying to get this petition signed. Change the definition. similar to a, a salad bowl. Got some, I got some lettuce, you know. Um, and, and then I had to go get some baby tomatoes. And then the onions, some diced onions. I didn't really dice them very well. Croutons. Croutons are crucial in your salad. And then you got the cheese, right? Cheese is also definitely crucial. It's all the unhealthy things that make a salad really well. Um, see, you got the tomatoes, right? And, and all these things are decent on their own, like the diced onions. There's, I love when my wife's just cutting up the onions and, and then she's crying. Um, and, and, well, I love when you're just going over and just popping them like they're candy, you know what I mean? And, and it's just really good. Um, and they're good by themselves, but what makes all these ingredients better is when they're together. And, and so the baby tomatoes, they're, they're good. And I think what some churches do is we just want to be like a cheese kind of church. 
We want our music is cheese kind of style, and our, our the people are cheese kind of people, and the, the everything we do is to appeal to the cheeses in the world, and so we're just being cheesy. Thank you. And then we got the croutons, and then there's the churches that are just appealing to the croutons. And, and, and we don't really want sometimes to be the crouton, cheesy, oniony, tomato-y church. We, want, we, we just want to be sometimes one of these things because it's comfortable to us just to be with the cheeses or to be with the croutons. But the church was never supposed to be just for white people. The church is never supposed to be just for black people. The church was never supposed to be for poor or rich. It was never based on, hey, what is your economic status? What is your, this, your skin tone color? What is your hobbies? What, is, what do you like? What, what do you prefer? It, that's not what the church is about. The church was supposed to be, hey, here's, here's a bowl of lettuce, and here's a little bit of cheese to go on top. It's supposed to be throwing stuff in. Here's some baby tomatoes. Throw that in. Got to have the croutons. That's crucial. And then you got to have, you know, a little bit of kick to it with the onions. And this is great because it's, they're in the bowl. They're in the house. They're, they're together, right? They're, they're, it's, but this could be just your job. There's nothing unique necessarily about different people with different backgrounds getting together. There's nothing crazy about that. What makes this unique is the other ingredient that we're missing, right? It's the, it's the ranch dressing. And so you have to have, wow, that was not planned. Um, you got to have the ranch dressing and then you got to be able to mix it together a little bit. See, the ranch is like the blood of Christ. It's what binds us together and connects us. It makes us what we, how we're reconciled to each other. See, we can be far off. It doesn't matter how we're all different in our past, our stories. They all look different. We could, or, or how far we are away from God, it, it might be, seem different. But the, the truth is, at one point, we were all far away from God, separate from Christ, but we have been drawn near through the blood and that's it. Through what Jesus has done for us, it's by nothing we have done to earn his love and his grace and his forgiveness. The common bond between us all, no matter where our backgrounds are, is the blood of Jesus that unites us. So if we've been reconciled to God, then we have been reconciled to each other. It's nothing better than that, right? As the church being reconciled, being redeemed, we have been reconciled to each other. Paul, he says in chapter three, verse six, he, he goes on, he says, to be specific, Hey, just remember this, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, they're fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise and Christ Jesus through the gospel. They, they are not just 
part of it. You're not just part of the church. You're a fellow heir. If you have trusted in Jesus, you're a fellow heir. You're a fellow member. You're a fellow partaker of the gospel. Paul, he, he's in, he's like, the first three chapters, they're such, they're so much good news for us who have trusted in Jesus. We have it too good to be sitting back and be asking the question that night, hey, what am I missing? You have everything you need in Jesus. So Paul ends chapter three, just like kind of similar to how he ended chapter one, he ends chapter three with a prayer. In verse 14, he says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. I love it because I love how the end, it just includes, he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. But then he's like, you know what? This is so good. This is not just for this church in Ephesus. This is for generations to come forever and ever. This truth that we can be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other, that truth, it's it's forever good. But did you catch it? Paul is praying specifically for us to understand the fullness of God. I pray that that that's all, honestly, I pray, that's my prayer for all of us is that we could understand the breadth, the, the height, the length, the depth of God's love and be filled with it to the fullness. And then did you catch him verse 20? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, asking God for stuff. We do that probably all the time. We we can imagine what we can ask for, right? But to think, God can do far more abundantly than you can even think, than I can imagine. I don't know about you, but I, if I realize I'm reading through that verse and I'm sitting back and, and I'm thinking about how big God is. Just this in verse 20, he, he can do far more than I can ask or even think, but that God loves me and cares about me. He cares about you and loves you. And he drew us in by giving his own life up for us so that we can be reconciled to him and we can be reconciled to each other. 
if you're sitting here in this room and you're, you're saying, I've never trusted in Jesus, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking the questions at night, what am I missing? That's, that's why I'm here this morning. I'm asking the question, what am I missing? Well, if that's you, you can leave today, you can leave this morning, and you can be done searching. You can find Christ, and you can be have this blessing that we're talking about this morning of being reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. And then like in verse 6, you can, be, you can be called a fellow heir, fellow member, fellow partaker in the gospel. You have those promises. So if you want to take that step and you want to ask God to come into your life, if you, if you want to have questions, jump into room one after the service. And there will be pastors in there and they'll love to be able to sit down with you and talk what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus. And he can leave here knowing you know who you are in Christ. And now you can understand what you should do with the rest of your life. And you no longer have to search and ask, what am I missing? For us in this room that we say, hey, we're, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ. Leave here this morning being excited, being pumped up that you are a, you are been reconciled to God. You were once far off and you have been brought near. And you're also reconciled to each other. You're the salad bowl church. We are mixed together. We have one common bond that is the blood of Christ. There's nothing better for us. So at night, you no longer have to Lay your head and go, what am I missing? Don't ask that question. Ask who you are in Christ. Remind yourself of that, that truth, that you have everything you need in him. If you would, stand with me and let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come this, and, and worship you. And Lord, be given some amazing reminders through your word in Ephesians. Thank you for the reminder that we are reconciled to you and we don't deserve that at all. But Lord, that you, through your blood, have drawn us near. And Lord, I pray this morning that we also understand that we are reconciled to each other as the church. And we live leaving here as the church, as the redeemed, as the reconciled. <laughs> that this is, our, these are, this is our family. That we all belong here because we didn't do anything to get here. It's all done through your blood. And Lord, we love you. We praise you in your name. Amen.